We're turning to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter two. Again, and thank you for having an interest in these meetings. Very important meetings, these days in which we live in. I want to let the Lord and the Word speak to us tonight. This old book is right up to date. My, the things that are being displayed before our eyes today are all here. And they're all coming forth even day by even day by day. Second Peter chapter two. And we're at the verse nine. Just reading a few verses tonight. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations or testings or trials. Maybe some of you are in the valley tonight and some affliction or trials upon you. Well, the Lord's well able to deliver you, but he'll deliver you in his time, not your time. Just let him have his way in them because he has a purpose, a purpose that you may not even see now. The Lord knoweth, that's a E-T-H, he always knoweth how to deliver the godly out of testings and trials and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. I think that's a mighty verse. And I also think that it's a light that shines in a dark place. It was this chapter 2 of Second Peter, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, was the most fearful, awesome chapter in all the Word of God. It's a chapter on judgment and end times, and chapter 3 is no better. There are chapters for these days in which we live in. If we can get the truth out of them, there'll be a blessing to our soul. This is a light, a, a verse set in a dark place. For you and I in these days, it's couched clearly in this verse as the omniscience of God. He knoweth and he seeth. He knows who the godly are, it says, and he knows who the ungodly are, and he knows where the godly are going, and he knows where the ungodly are going. He knows all things and seeth all things. But not only have you in this verse the omniscience of God, you have the omnipotence of God, another powerful trait of God's characters. You see, he's all-powerful. He's able to deliver one out and up, and he's, a, he's able to deliver another down and in. And he's delivered the ungodly down into judgment and the godly up to the glory. This verse is saturated in, in great truths for the godly and for the ungodly. All powers given unto him. Verse 10. But chiefly, especially, them that walk after the flesh. This is the ones that are, the judgment is to be punished. After the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despised government. Presumptuous are they 
self-willed they are, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them them before the Lord. Let me stop a wee moment there. This is awful satanic stuff. And it's so satanic stuff that the very angels, God's chosen angels, that minister to us and... uh, Mind us, as we were saying, there's angels everywhere. God has his angels. But even these angels would not tackle to confront these powers of darkness that we're reading about. That's what it says in this verse. They'll bring not railing accusations against them. They'll leave that to the Lord. And that's what happened over the grave of Moses. The great archangel... Michael wouldn't contend with the devil over, over, over Moses. He says, the Lord contend with you, see it. And there's times we have to leave things to the Lord and we dare not try to put a finger out to touch satanic things for we're not able for them. And there's times we just have to leave them with the Lord. These very angels here, these chosen of God, the angels that never sinned. They wouldn't even tackle these people. And they said, it's up before the Lord they leave in the last verse. But these as, and you'll see why, but these as natural brute beasts. Now he's talking about people and the scripture talks about uh, men and women being like animals in many places and even in godly we talk about the sheep and the, and the dog and the and so forth. And these are natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that counted a pleasure to riot, or that word is drunkenness, in the daytime. There's a time you never saw people drunk in the daytime. Well, I tell you, you hardly go onto a street in some of our towns in the middle of the day now where you have people, people drunk and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that counted pleasure to riot in the daytime. There's a full stop there and we shall stop there as well tonight and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his own precious word to our hearts. Most of all biblical scholars, prophetical scholars, all agree that the end of the age and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is at hand. And indeed some would say, and quite rightly say, That is very eminent indeed. And they base their facts not only on the Old Testament prophets, because we have right through the scriptures the Lord's second coming, the prophet of Moses and Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah and others. They don't only base it on scripture interpretation of those Old Testament prophets, but the teachings. 
of our Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles, Paul, Peter, John, and James, and Jude, but also from the fulfilling of the signs. The fulfilling of the signs. We must always go to Scripture first. But the Lord has shown us as well as in the Old Testament and the New Testament from the mouth of our Lord and from the mouth of the apostles, he also shows us signs that we have to look out for. And in these days in which we live, there's a plethora of signs everywhere around us. And in the last 18 months, even as I speak tonight, they're being fulfilled at a rate never fulfilled before. Now, I'm not here to enumerate them tonight because most of you know some of them. But two of the great and the outstanding signs are the Olivet Discourse by our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24 and Luke 17 and Mark 13. Our Lord says of the things that are going to happen in these days in which we live. Included in those are the days where he speaks about the days of Lot and the days of Noah. That is the days before the flood when the world was destroyed and the days before the fire whenever Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. He says it will be things going on the very same as they went on in those days. And he says, you watch out for those signs. And he's speaking to this generation. Because this is the generation where these signs and signals are made clear than anywhere else in the other times of church history. Now, when he talks about the days of Noah, he's talking about from Genesis 4 to Genesis 8. And you always remember that because people think when he talks about the days of Noah, it's only around Genesis 6 and the flood. But it's from Genesis 4 to 8. And the days of Lot are Genesis 18 and 19. Now the picture in both these scenarios and scenes, and if you put these two scenes and two uh, dispensations together, because there was 1,500 years between, although there's only a few chapters of Scripture, there was 1,500 years, years between the days of Noah and the days of Lot. But whenever you put these two scenes together you have an awesome, awesome conclusion altogether. It's a woefully chilling, frightening story. You see, one of the last day signs given to, by the Lord Jesus was, there will be fearful sights. Fearful sights. And if you care to study the life of Noah and the ark and the flood, and the waters coming up and the waters coming down, it was a fearful sight. It must have been a fearful sight for men, women, and children clinging on to the ark to try to get in, hammering on the ark, going up onto the mountains and onto the housetops, and as the flood rose and they cried, and God had shut the door and they couldn't get in. It must have been an awful, awful scene when the whole world was destroyed with the flood. And I tell you, it was a fearful sight. It must have been a fearful sight in Lot's day when the whole town and city was taken over with Sodomites, when they marched on the mayor's residence, when they marched on the house and broke down the door and tried to get in to rape angels. I tell you, my friend, it was a wicked and an evil day. There must have been fearful sights. It must have been a fearful sight for Lot and his two daughters 
to turn around and see the wife and the mother. That, and if ever children needed a mother, they needed the mother. Girls needed the mother. They needed the mother that day. And as they turned around, the mother was coming. The angel had the mother by the hand. And as they, as, they, as they were coming out, Lot's wife turned back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. It must have been an awful sight to see the mother in a mound of salt. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of Lot. And in these days in which we live in, there is fearful sights every day. I noted down a couple of here, massive floods in India, fires in California, typhoons in the Philippines, locusts in East Africa, drownings the other day in the Channel, a train crash over there in Europe. Day after day, hour after hour, there are signs and signals everywhere that the end is near and it's time to wake up. You'll hear something else tomorrow. Maybe a couple of things tomorrow. We're heading and steamrolling towards the end as fast as we can go. And if you're not saved tonight, you're dicing with death. I wouldn't be in your shoes for all the money in the world. But you know, my friend, one of the other signs that we never hear in the days of Lot, and it's in Ezekiel, and I don't want you to turn to these scriptures. I want you to concentrate on what I'm saying. One of these other signs in the scriptures, in Ezekiel chapter 16, it talks about the iniquity of Sodom, where there's pride and abundance of idleness and fullness of bread. I tell you, we never lived in a day in which there was so much pride and pride amongst God's people. And that pride needs to be broken in all of our lives and we need to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ. Pride and the abundance of idleness. We never had as lazy a generation as this generation. I know there's many people and they can't work and they're not able to work. But I tell you, there's a whole lot of boys that could work if they were out and they're too lazy. I think, I, I think between here and Cookstown, I was leaving the grandson over to the tech in Cookstown. I think between here and Cookstown, one day I read there's four signs out for hiring and jobs. And people say that they have no work. But you see, the days of Lot is the day of a bundle of idleness and fullness of bread and gluttony and pleasure. These days are all around us. Jesus says they eat and they drank. There's nothing wrong with that. They married and given in marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. But doing all that without any concern, with any vision or any burden for the future or for their souls, that's what the devil does. He blinds the minds and takes you on until uh, it's all over and it's too lost. Every conceivable sin that happened in the days of Lot and the days of Noah are happening now in our days and God told us that would be true. Now there's one biblical word and this is what we're hitting tonight. There's one biblical word the apostles, the prophets, the preachers, the Lord Jesus Christ all used it regarding these last days and it's one word and it's the word judgment. Judgment. After this, the judgment. And you better believe it, my friend. There's judgment. There's judgment coming. It's only the grace and the mercy and the love of God and the long-suffering of God that he puts up with the things that are going on today, even in the church. We have a merciful and we have a gracious God. In these two epistles, Peter mentions the word judgment eight times. What happened in the old world in Noah's day and what happened in the cities of the plain in Lot's day, they were ripe for judgment. 
They pushed it too far. And they came to a limit when God said, enough is enough. And he might be saying that to you tonight, sinner, in this meeting that is not saved. He's saying you now, enough is enough. This is the last opportunity you're going to get tonight. That could well be. It has often been the way. And the mercies of God, you know, runs out. Talks about in Daniel the latter times when the transgressions will be full. I believe that the cup of iniquity, God's cup of iniquity is full and is about to spill over. And my friend, it's spilling over. We can see it spilling over here and there and round the country and round the nation. We can see it spilling over. But I tell you, he's going to upturn it some of these days. You remember that the wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven. And don't you think that God, uh, God, he's a God of love and a God of mercy and he's a God of grace. But oh, there's another side to the coin. He's a God who hates sin. And there's a God who is going to meet out judgment. You know James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know what he was called? He was called Camel Knees. He was called Camel Knees because he had wealth on his knees. They found the martyrdom and threw him out through upstairs. Uh, upstairs building that threw him onto the ground and killed him onto the ground. The martyr James, the half-brother of the Lord, and they found on his knees that it was, there were big welts of skin on the knees where he was praying. He was a praying man. Where did he get that from? He got it from his half-brother, let me tell you. And praying, he prayed to God. But he's speaking about the last days in James 5. He says this, the coming of the Lord. He says, behold, the judge standeth at the door. Now that word for doors is, door is the word doors, it's plural. He's standing at the doors. He has his foot on the threshold of the doors. He's speaking about these days, these last days that we're in. Now friend, let me get this over to you tonight. The judge standeth at the doors. I tell you, he's at the doors of number 10. And he's at the doors of number 11 because you're going to see, you're going to see a burst in the economy very soon. The like of we have never seen. You mark my words. He's at the doors of number 10. He's at the doors of number 11. He's at the doors of the House of Commons and the House of Lords and the House of Windsor. He standeth at the doors. And on place over there in Brussels, he's at the doors. The judge standeth at the doors in these last days. And he's at the doors of Stormont. And they can read the scriptures and say what they like. But he's at the doors. He's at the doors of the house of Leinster down in Dublin. God, the judge, standeth at the doors. And I'll be telling you in a minute, he's at the doors of the church. Let your mind go just now. Let your mind go from him standing at the doors in judgment. And come with me in your mind's eye to the days of Noah whenever it started. And the days of Noah started in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain slew Abel. And here's what it says. Cain was very wroth. He was very wroth with the sacrifice that his brother brought. Well, you know, brought, you know that Abel brought the sacrifice of the blood and was received unto God, but he brought the fruit and the foliage of the ground, which wasn't accepted unto God, and he was cast out, and there was a mark put on him. And God says to, 
to, to Cain, here's what he says. Why art thou wroth and cast down? If, you'd have, if you do well, you'll be accepted. In other words, if you would have brought the same sacrifice as Abel brought, you'd have killed and sacrificed and shed the blood and brought it to me, I would have accepted you too. Then it says this in 4 and 6. Now listen to this. You may be hearing something you haven't heard before. It says this in 4 and 6. God said to him, sin lieth at the door. Now that word lieth is the word crouches or, 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 or lies and crouches at the door or broods at the door. Now one of the older translations and C.H. Spurgeon and others agree with this. Here's what it means. The sin offering lieth at the door. It seems that God brought a lamb or God brought a heifer or God brought a sacrifice to the door for, for Cain. And all he had to do was to reach out and take that sacrifice that God had laid at the door and lift that sacrifice, shed its blood, shed its blood, put the blood on the door, post on the lintels of the house, and he, he was as safe as, as Abel was. And as, as Adam and Eve was, he was as safe as any of them. All he had to do was to get the blood. That's all. And all you have to do tonight, the blood has been shed and Christ has been sacrificed on the cross of Calvary. And all you have to do tonight, sinner, is to reach out by faith and claim the blood that will cleanse you from all sin and will set you gloriously free. It's at the very door. It's just here. He's here tonight. He'll save you tonight if you'll come. Oh, you say, but he was a murderer. Yes. Well, let me tell you, he saves murderers. Even for this murderer that slew his brother, God says, I'll forgive you, I'll cleanse you if you bring the sacrifice of the blood. I brought it for you. It's at the door. You only have to take it. You have nothing to do, only take it. Just shed the blood and you're in and you're safe. I tell you. Oh, but he was a murderer. Well, so was Moses and he gave us the first five books of the Bible. So was David and he gave us all the Psalms. So was the Paul and he gave us 14 epistles. Take the murderers out and you have very little scripture. Take them out. And you can take out more than the Psalms too. And you can take out more than the 14 epistles. And you can take out more than the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I was doing a mission years ago and I made an appeal at the end of it. I said, anybody wants to come to see me, come round the back and went outside and come round the back. We place round the back and this fellow come in, can you help me? I says, I can't, but the Lord can help you. He says, I doubt if he can help me. I says, why? He says, I'm murdering a man. What do you do with that situation? My friend, there's the blood cleanses and I don't care what your sin is tonight. I don't care where you are or where you stand tonight. I don't care how bad you are or evil you are. Listen, there's a saviour from all sin. If you'll only let him in. He'll either come as your saviour or as your judge. Mind you, he's either you're going to let him in and swing the heart's door widely open or he's going to come in. He's not going to knock at the door when he comes as judge, mind you. No, no. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
He's knocking for you tonight. Any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him. But when he comes a judge, as the judge, and tell you, and he's at the door, and he could be over the threshold into your house tonight, and you could be lost forever. You see, and I thought you were peaking on Second Peter. Well, Am, give me a minute or two, and we'll get to Peter. You see, it's all to do with judgment. This is all to do with judgment. It's to do with the judgment of the last day's judgment. And there's many, there's five judgments in Scripture, and I can't touch them tonight, for I wouldn't have time. There's the, there's the judgment that affects us more than anything else. There's the judgment of sin. When our Lord Jesus Christ was spread eagled on the cross of Calvary, he was judged for our sins. Every sin and iniquity that I ever done, and there were evil, some of them were laid on, on, on Christ at the cross. He bore my sins in his own body on the tree. He offered that sacrifice for sin that I never had to offer. He took my place and died for me. Hallelujah. I praise him for it every day. There's the sacrifice, there's the, there's the judgment of sin, and there's the judgment of the saints. You're saved tonight. I don't know how long you've been saved. I don't know what you're doing for the Lord since you got saved, but let me tell you, you're going to give an account from the moment you were saved. And that could happen tonight. How could it happen tonight? Well, the very next thing after the church is raptured, we're going to the Bema. We're going to the judgment seat of Christ. Don't you, don't you tell me for a minute that Noah and Lot got into glory the same. Oh, they got in all right, but Lot, Lot with the smell of smoke of them. Noah with an abundant entrance. You're going to the judgment seat and you're going to give an account for every deed done in the body, for your tithes, for your time, for your talents that God gifted you with before you were saved and before you were born. I tell you, was as Ravenhill said, I hope that Wesley's not in front of me. And Moody's behind me at the judgment seat. Oh, God help me. There's a judgment for the saints. Not for sin, but for service. Sin has been dealt with. Your sin has been dealt with. But for service. And then there's the judgment of sinners. And that's what this verse 9 is speaking about tonight. That's what this verse is talking about. The great white throne judgment that Peter's talking about here that the ungodly are going to be cast in and they're going out into utter darkness and they're going down into, into hell forever and they're going to be in that eternal torment forever. Now here's the type of people they are. So cast your eyes on verse 10 of Second Peter 2. Now watch this very carefully. This whole context is on judgment. It's on the judgment of the ungodly. And they're being judged for what they do. And they're being judged for not receiving Christ as Savior. And if you're not saved, you may not fall into the category of some of these people, but you're, you're going to go, if you're not saved, whosoever name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast, just like a fisherman would cast, was cast into the lake of fire. That's what we're dealing with here. And he tells us here what sort of people there will be in these last days. 
What sort of people are there? And here he tells us here in this, in, in, in this verse 10. Watch verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Now the word there is filthiness. Now you just hold on to this now. Filthiness. Unclean, spoiled, dirty, shameful, incontinent. These people couldn't stop sinning. This is all around lustful sexual perversion and sins. And if you study that, and you study properly, which we haven't time to go into as the days of Lot, you'll find that these were sexual perversions. And sexual sins are predominant sins everywhere today. They used to be closed up now. They're out in the open. They're everywhere. All the children are subject to them and phones and all sorts of things. So what we're talking about here is he's talking about here filthiness. And if you go on, you'll read that their eyes was full of adultery. And in Lot's day, their hearts were only evil continually. In the verse or two up there, we preached last that Sunday night, there were vexed, vexed righteous Lot with the filthy conversation or the lifestyle that is. Not just what the words, but their lifestyle. Vexed even Lot, who was anything but out and out for God. Most times we read of this as to do with obscenity, promiscuity, shameful acts. I'm glad that I'm saved tonight. I'm glad that I'm going out of this whole world. I'm in it, but I'm not off it. And I'm glad that as I go on day by day, I, I don't know, I, I pray for you children. It's not a, not, a, not a day, two, three, and four o'clock in the morning. I pray for the children of this church. My wife knows that. I pray for the children and I pray for the young people and I pray for young parents in these days. My, my, my journey's nearly ended. And I'm glad that I'm going out of this old sinful, sick world. But my friend, there's victory in this world. There's victory through the blood of Jesus to live above sin. And we'll close with that when we come to a close. Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 says, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The opposite of filthiness is holiness. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. Not as I am holy, we'll never be as holy as him, but for I am holy. My friend, let us be live holy, clean lives, clean hands and a pure heart. Let us be done with all this uncleanness and confess and repent of it. For the blood cleanses us from all sin and we can live a life of victory in Jesus. Filthiness, the opposite of that is holiness. God has not called us on to uncleanness, but he has called us on to holiness Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Oh, he wants to cleanse people in these days. And only the mighty grace and the love of God can take a drunkard and a sinner out of this world. And he can set him free and cleanse him and take a sin and cast him in the sea of God. Not only that, but keep him. Keep him. Kept by the power of God. I couldn't keep myself for two minutes. 
be back in the old pub sucking at cigarettes and at the drink. But I'm kept by the power of God. Hallelujah. And he keeps us by his power. And he'll keep us until the river rolls its waters at our feet. Hallelujah. And then he'll bear us over. And our loved ones, we shall meet. Oh, yes. I want to plug this in tonight. I have to say this. The first time we get the words filthiness in the scripture. And I have told my people here, as I've taught them over 33 years, you always note the first mention of anything in the Bible. The first mention of anything in the Bible is so important. Take the first mention of the blood. Follow it through. Take the first mention. The first mention of filthiness was godly King Hezekiah talked to the Levites and he told the Levites, he says, sanctify the house of God and carry out all the filthiness out of the holy place. All the soiled and all the dirty and all the shameful things because the psalmist tells us, holiness belongeth or becometh thine house, O Lord. I, friend, if only we knew the filthy things, the filthy things that are going on in some of the evangelical churches. If only we knew the shameful things that are going on behind closed doors and closed doors of homes and closed doors of churches. If only we knew, we wouldn't be aghast anymore that there's no revival. Judgment begins at the house of God. And until the house of God is cleaned up and our own hearts and lives are cleaned up and those old phones and footery things that you're jigging at and ducking at every day damning your soul, you young people. You can't pray when you're at that old stuff. That's why you're not at the prayer meeting. You can't pray. You can't have no conversation with God. You can't get down before God and hold up your hands and say, Lord, my hands are clean, my heart is pure. As far as I know, there's nothing between. I tell you, if God had 50 men like that, he'd turn the whole country upside down. No, no, judgment must begin at the house of God. It's time for repentance. Stop looking at the Roman Catholics and the child abuse. Get your eyes on your own people. And your eyes on the old evangelical churches and ministers and pastors and elders. Why are we in such a mess that we're in? I better say no more. I'll end up in the telegraph. Judgment begins at the house of God. Filthiness. Then there's rebelliousness. Look at this. They despise government. They despise government. Let's read the verse. But chiefly them that walked after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Do you go back, and I haven't time to go way back to the days of Lot again. There was Adam and Eve who taught Cain and Abel the things of God about the sacrifice that God told them. They taught their children. They had an example right from the very beginning. Then they had the godly Seth, who was the first man to start a prayer meeting. And then they had the godly Enoch in the days of Lot, who walked with God. And then they had Noah, the preacher, the preacher of righteousness, that holy man who for 120 years hammered at the ark and tried to get the people saved. They had a whole, a whole ream of men and women who were godly men, but they never repented. 
And you live in the Northern Ireland, you have more meetings, we have more tracts, we have more books, we have more preachers, we have more denominations than anywhere else in the sun, and we're in a worse mess than anything. Boy, you're going well tonight. Well, is that not so? Is that not so? Well, more Bibles, I'll tell you, I'd get a half a dozen Bibles than anyone in your home. But how much of it do you know? That's the problem. No, they had all these things, my friend, but it didn't do them any good. They, 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 there was a rebelliousness. There's a rebelliousness about. There's this rebelliousness against the despised government. Even in the church, they despise leaders, elders. They despise what they're saying. They contradict what they're saying. There has to be a humility. And you never lived in the day when you saw the sodomites that despised government, not so much the government of the land, for they agree with them and they're all in with them, but they despise the godly government. They despise men like us when we stand up to tell them they're wrong and it's sinful and they'll be judged for it. We'll be in jail for it. They despise government. That's what they did in the days of Lot. That's what they did in the days of Noah. They despised Noah was the mayor of Sodom. He had a, 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 a respect. He should have had a respect as a leader and as a government of the, and the government. Uh, he, he was the leader. And what did they say? Bring this. Who's this fella? Who's, who does he think he is telling us what to do? Stand back out of the door. We're coming into your house to rape your, we're coming into the house to rape the angels that went in. God help us. I tell you, they're an aggressive force out there today. Now I'll tell you, they'll walk over us and close the churches if they could. Put us in jail. We need to be praying and we need to stand against them. They despise leadership. They have their own, they have their own agenda. Verse 10, and we haven't time to go into it. Look at what it says. They're proud. They're stubborn. They despise leadership. They have no fear of God. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. Rebelliousness. Do you know the opposite of rebelliousness? Is brokenness. Brokenness. There needs to be a brokenness, a broken and a contrite spirit I will not despise. Boy, we need a brokenness in God's people today. We need to get down before God and we Oh, that's my idea, and I would like it this way. It doesn't matter what way you would like it. We need to get down before God and say, Lord, have thine own way. I am the potter, thou art the clay. Brokenness, rebelliousness started in Genesis 14, in the 13th year of Sodom. They rebelled, Sodom rebelled. That's 13 is the teenage year coming into We word to you teenagers tonight. Thirteenth is the year, the year, the figure thirteen is the year of rebellion in Scripture. You take the numbers of Scripture and go through them and you'll find mighty teaching. And when you're in your coming into your teens now, you're rebellious about your father and mother. And you're rebellious against authority and you're rebellious against the church and you're rebellious against everything. Let me tell you this. You be very careful. 
You be very careful. Because God hates rebelliousness. He hates it. And I speaking to some teenagers at night and you're just full of rebelliousness and your mother and father has been good to you, remember? They brought you to where you are and they tried to teach you the truth. And you're long sleeping at night, she's ironing your clothes for you. You don't care about that. You just be very careful how you, uh, how you, how you look to your father and mother. You're looking at a man here didn't appreciate his mother until she was gone. You're a rebel tonight and you need to be broken. What do you think we're spending? What do you think over a hundred people are passing through here every week praying for? For the main theme in these prayer meetings is not only revival but families. Don't let the devil get you, son. God hates rebelliousness. He wants you to be broken. He wants you to come down before him. He wants you to repent of your sins. He wants you to appreciate your mother and father. Rebelliousness is as the sin as witchcraft and stubbornness as idolatry. It's as bad as sin in the eyes of God of witchcraft. Filthiness, rebelliousness, lastly. Here's a mighty point I want to drive home, and that's as far as we're getting. We're going to stay at these scriptures until they're preached. The last one here we have here is conscienceless. Conscienceless. Where do you get that from? Well, you watch it. But these, verse 12, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil things of the things that they understand not. How can a beast understand anything? And shall utterly perish in their own corruption. The cow has no conscience. A pig has no conscience. A dog has no conscience. A horse has no conscience. A lion has no conscience. Why? Because they have no sin. They hold tight now. They have no sin. They're not accountable. No conviction needed. No conviction. You can't have a conviction if there's no sin. Now you know very well, and I don't know what way you're living tonight, but you know very well from even you're a child, you know when you've done wrong. Well, you know it. You know what you were at last week wasn't right, and you're not clean tonight. You know you're not clean. Would you like to be clean? And there's some of the things that's going on, and it's not, not clean. Because you have a conscience. Paul says the conscience accusing or excusing. Do you hear that? Sometimes our conscience excuses us. 
but sometimes it accuses us. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit now. I'm talking about conscience. God has given every man and woman conscience. No, they have no conscience. They're not capable of conviction. All an animal will do, he'll eat and he'll sleep. And he'll drink and he'll breed and he'll die. And that's the end of it. That's where these people have come. These are people he's talking about. In the last days. They're all around us. Paul in 1 Timothy 4 and 2, speaking, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Watch. Having their conscience seared. The latter times, not the last days, the latter time, right at this moment, the latter time, he says there will be people out there and there will be many, many of them and they'll have their conscience seared and they'll be like animals. They'll have their conscience seared as with a hot iron, Paul says. That word seared is the word cauterized. It's a brand, a stamp. It's the mark of the master. Paul used it when he says that he he bared the body on his body, the marks, the stigma, the marks of the wounding, the marks that he was a servant of Christ, the marks of his master. But oh, my friend, we're reading here that the marks, marks is cauterized. Whenever, we, when I used to go to the intermediate school, I was at that school in Enniskillen from the first day it opened, 1957. And it took them months getting things in order. They didn't know who was coming. They came from bus roads in and they couldn't know where they went. And people used to, we used to go way out and spend the day and they never missed you. We used to go down to the mart. We used to go out to the bicycle sheds and smoke out in the bicycle sheds and we'd hear the kettle roaring and it was too much for we could handle some of we farmer boys and away we went. Down to the mark and there they were and the kettle and they were ringing. Boy, we were we not in our elements going round the mart. And there was an old fellow there and he, he, he had a lame leg and boy, he had a bad tongue. And he, he, he used to drive the kettle in and uh, people would buy them and he would mark them. He'd put a stamp on them. He'd just put a, put a hot stamp on the back of them. He'd brand them with the owner's number on it. He seared the skin. It's cutting the edge. It's cutting the ends of the nerve. Should they do it for cancers, they burn off. The mark of the owner was put on those kettle and those men, some of them went away over to the railway bar and they drunk the whole evening in it and they come back at night looking for the kettle to go away up to this country or somewhere else and they knew, they knew it by the mark. The mark of ownership. What marks on you tonight? What mark is on me tonight? These men here we're talking about, they were branded, their, their conscience was seared, it was cauterized. 
And that's the way he says there'll be many in the last days. And they can do these things and it'll never cost them a thought. That's why they can murder children. That's why they can open fire on men and women and children. They can do whatever they like because their conscience is seared with a hot iron. They've gone too far. They're like brute beasts. Not beasts, but brute beasts. Boy, I tell you, if God would only open our eyes, it's a good job. He doesn't. Around Cookstown and around Duncanon, some of these days there's going to be something happening. You pray for your children. And you get into these prayer meetings and cry that you never cried before. Like you never cried before. And I tell you, we haven't very far to go to the mark. Sure, we haven't. Because once the church goes, there's going to be a brand mark put on the head, on the forehead, and on the right hand of every man and woman that's left, that's not raptured, and it's the mark of the beast, and it's stamped with the devil's mark. You, the devil's child tonight. Six, six, six. Cauterized into the very and no sense of God, no sense of sin, no conviction anymore. You'll be no like the beast. You'll not be able to buy or sell without the permission. We're getting near to anyway, so you can hardly go anywhere now. They're looking for passports and all. We're closing in. Closing in. Glad. But I go back to that verse and close now. I go back to that verse. But God put that verse there as a lamp. But he can del- there's two ways God can deliver us. First of all, he can deliver us in revival. The Lord knoweth how to deliver Every time we were in situations, never really as bad as it, sometimes near as bad, maybe. But down through church history, every time that we got where men were evil and wicked and things were happening and fearful sights were all around us, and when everything seemed to be lost, and when the people of God were, if I left this meeting tonight and left you like that, I'd be a very cruel man. How could we do that when we have a victorious Savior on the throne? How could I do that tonight, my friend, when we have a Savior who is able to deliver? And all those times, God moved in in deliverance. He delivered in Wesley's day, in Whitfield's day, in Moody's day, in Spurgeon's day. He delivered in the, uh, the, um, uh, uh, out there in the, uh, the, the Zulus and the, uh, the other tribes there that were godless and, and, and all sorts of men and women without God and without out hope. God moved in. He moved in in the wickedness of Scotland and the wickedness of Wales and the wickedness of Ireland in 1859. He moved in and he delivered and he delivered in revival. And he'll do it again. He's going to do it again. God's going to revive Ireland. And it may be start with the ones in our bow tonight. 
God's going to move through the Catholic people. I tell you, God's not going to let leave us in such a state as we're in. God loves his people and his children. He says, I'm going to deliver you out of this. He delivers. He delivers out in revival and he delivers out in rapture. I believe that he's going to deliver, he's going to rapture us in revival. That's my belief. I'm allowed to believe that. And it's going to come. It's going to come. We're going to see these wee children saved and we're going to see a move of God and we're going to see these evil and wicked men driven back from our doors. And we're going to see God moving mightily on the throne. And when all the scoffers and the skeptics and all those that blamed us and hammered us here and told lies on us here, God's going to vindicate us. He's going to vindicate us. And they'll be coming from all over to see the glory of God in the hill, the river, the valley. I tell you, it's coming. My friend, get in behind us. Don't waste another day. Don't spend another day in some old dead church where there's no life and no power and no fire and no anointing. Come in under the preaching that you got this morning. Come in under the prayer meetings Monday and Wednesday and Friday. Come and cry to God till you see what God is going to do. He is able to deliver the godly. And he's able to lift us out and lift us up. And then he'll burst the clouds and come again and take us home. Glory to his lovely name. As it was in the days of Noah, in the days of Lot, he took Noah out and he took Lot out. (laughs) Amen. And he'll take us out. Let us pray. Oh, God, our Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight for the precious word of God. Lord, we shine that light out tonight that you're able and you're going to lift us out, Lord, of this. Take away all fear tonight. All doubts, Lord, are scaring the life out of the people again. No, God, we cry to thee in Jesus' name. Our faith is not in them. Our faith is in the living God. We praise you tonight for what you're going to do. Praise you tonight, Lord, for the love of God and the mercies of God and the grace of God and the long-suffering of God, even with us, Lord, for those who are here tonight that are not saved. Oh, God, we pray that they'll cry to thee before they go home or it'll be too late when the door is shut. Oh, God, it must have been an awful day when the door was shut. There's a door open that cannot be shut. But there's coming a day when the door will be shut that cannot be opened. Maybe in some life tonight. Lord, take away what has been of ourselves and bless what has been of God and save tonight, restore tonight. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.